Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Lee Cantor here, another episode of High Velocity Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Kristen Shivago with Shivago Partners. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about your practice. How are you serving folks? What was the last part of your question? How are you helping people? Oh, we basically help people sell more. That's my goal in life, um, to help company owners sell more. Been doing it for years. Uh, I've been a revenue coach for decades, mostly helping CEOs and entrepreneurs sell more by understanding what their customers want to buy and how they want to buy it. I'm an expert on the customer's buying process. What was the genesis of this discovery of the skill set you had? Well, I started out selling very young. In fact, at 17, I was the first, as far as I know, I was the first woman to sell machine shop tools in the United States. And it was kind of humiliating because they just gave me a catalog and told me to go sell. (laughs) So I, I really, I learned quickly that I needed to know more about the product in order to sell. And I also just I made it a vow to myself that I would learn everything I could about technology and selling. And I've been doing that ever since. Now, when you went out and started being a revenue coach and working on helping others, was that something that uh, just organically happened in your career after you were a successful salesperson? You were like, hey, I can, you know, selling is selling. It doesn't matter what industry. I can, you know, apply these same tools and help other people wherever they are. Well, actually, what happened, I I was selling a number of different things. And then my husband and I opened an ad agency in Silicon Valley, and we did that for about 12 years. And I, I started that revenue coaching work then. What really changed my whole outlook on marketing and selling is I would go into companies and they would say, here's what's important to our customers. It's a list, you know, and it made sense. Perfectly logical list. Then I would go out and interview their customers. And the list was always different than what the company had given me. So I knew that what they were doing was marketing incorrectly because they weren't addressing something I call the mindset of the customer when they set out to buy, which is their desires, their concerns, and their questions. If you don't know specifically what they are, your marketing efforts will all be wasted. So that really started me on this path. And then once the Macintosh came out, I looked at my husband and said, you know what, they're all going to go in-house. I'm going to help them. So I labeled myself as a revenue coach, and I did that for a number of decades before opening my digital agency. And then is the same strategies, whether you're selling kind of human to human in person, the same as digitally, if I'm using, you know, uh, Facebook ads or LinkedIn or Google ads? Oh, absolutely. It's even more important because the message is all you have. If the message is off, if they come to your website and they don't see themselves, they don't understand what you're selling and what's, what it, would do for them. If it doesn't press their buttons, they will leave immediately and they won't come back. So it's even more important in the digital arena. Now, is the first step in um, in this process, what you discovered is just talking to your customers? Like that seems to be a common strategy in a lot of startups is, you know, you do a hundred discovery calls. 
Yeah, you don't need to do a hundred though. If you do, if you do the surveying the way I recommend, and by the way, in my book Roadmap to Revenue: How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy, I spell this out. I've done thousands of these interviews. I've learned a lot of lessons. I basically get on the phone with them. You make an appointment so they have time, and you ask open-ended questions. Surveys don't work. Surveys are your assumptions put in the form of questions. (laughs) So you don't really learn anything new. Now, the great thing about in-depth phone interviews, and you should do it by phone so there's no human contact um, kind of, you know, body language issues or anything like that. And they can talk to you while they're driving or whatever on their cell phone. Um, the, The thing that's interesting about this is by the fifth to seventh phone call, you have the trends. You have bankable information that will continue to show up if you interviewed 40 people. And I've done that. I've had big companies say, oh, no, 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 no. You have to interview 40 people. And honestly, by the seventh call, what we were learning was the same all the way through to the 40th person. Now, the person doing the questioning, do they have to be the CEO or is it better to be kind of not the person that's that emotionally invested in the outcome? It's better to be not, uh, mostly because the person on the other side of the the line will try to be very polite. I mean, I've even had situations where I was interviewing some guy who was running a factory and the machine, my client's machine that he was using to build all of his products was down when I called him. And every third word was F and, you know, he was just really upset. And I said, you know, I've never done this before, but you seem to be really upset. Let's get the CEO on the phone and see if we can work this out. So we did. And he was a completely different person to the CEO. (laughs) He was super polite. So the CEO really didn't get the full gist of, um, you know, his anger at, at not being able to manufacture these things while he was basically out of business while the machine was down. So it's better to have a third party, but... That third party has to be someone who's familiar with the products and, and so on. So they don't they don't bore the customer because customers will get off the phone pretty quickly if they get bored. Now, can you share a story of maybe the most insight you were able to glean from this and and maybe the most disparate from what the assumptions that the client had and then what was the reality of after speaking to the client, you know, their client, what they discovered? Yeah, one of my favorite um, examples is a a company that sold software to uh, companies who did field service of any type. So this was kind of an operating system for field service companies. You know, they sent technicians out into the field. And the company, the CEO was very technical, wonderful guy, and they were really proud of their integration with QuickBooks because, of course, QuickBooks was the standard. So everybody thought, you know, big deal. And they were very proud of how elegantly they um, did that integration with QuickBooks. So I get people on the phone. And when that subject came up, the customers were like, well, yeah, everybody integrates with QuickBooks. That's not a big deal. So to them, it was like at the bottom of their list. It was like airplanes have to fly, food has to take. Right, that was it. Was just table stakes for them. Exactly, perfect word for it. Yeah, baseline industry promises, what I call it. So uh, it turns out 
that the thing that made them buy that product was that when you're first talking to a customer and you're entering their information, where they are and what their their um, equipment is and, and instructions and all of that, uh, you enter it once and then it automatically populates all the other parts of the program, the invoices, the directions to the text, all that stuff. Because these were usually small businesses and they hated entering data more than once. Any entrepreneur will tell you they hate double entry. It's a terrible, inefficient thing. So we ended up rebranding the company. They were called Pioneer Interactive or something like that, which didn't tell anybody anything about what they sold. And we ended up calling it Field One. You entered the data in once and it populates all the other fields. And Field One in the sense that they were sending people out into the field. They ended up selling the company. They did so well, they sold the company to Microsoft. And um, it was, I mean, it was a massive turnaround. But we've done this many times with clients. Very similar, exact kind of, you find out the truth and then you use the truth to interact with your customers and they, they respond. Your revenue goes up. So now, what is kind of the the biggest mistakes that you see people make over and over again? Is it just this not, like, is everything at the heart of it, the polling of your clients and asking them why they bought? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I called my book Roadmap to Revenue, because if, you, I mean, you're selling the customers, you're selling the people, they have these desires, concerns, and questions. I mean, if you think of it as a buyer, you know this. If they answer your questions to your satisfaction, you're going to buy from them. If they don't, you're not. It's really simple. And most people think they know what customers want or they're shy about talking to customers or they're egotistical about it. They're too proud. And so they don't do it. The ego drives the, the problem. So I, you know, I kept thinking I would solve the problem and life could go on, but... <laughs> Every company still has this problem. So now, is it something that you solve it once and then you're good for a while, or is it should you be doing this on an ongoing basis? Yeah, it's the that's another wonderful thing about it. Even as fast as markets move and change, customer mindsets don't change that much over time. If you're in a super fast moving market, doing it every six months or so is sufficient. Now. Obviously, if there's a massive change, like you've got a pandemic or something, then you have to reassess because, you know, the the desires, concerns, and questions may change radically and you have to be on board. But as a general rule, you can do this every six months, once a year, and just make sure you're on the right, still on the right track. And it's just a matter of getting your book uh, kind of taking those questions and using that as um, a guide and then just yep. polling a half a dozen clients every six yep. months? Yeah. A half a dozen clients of any given type. So if you've got dealers and customers or dealers and distributors or so on, or VPs and and workers and CEOs, then you still have to talk to five to seven people of a given type. Now, when you have that, when you are asking these open-ended questions and they are probably going to talk a little bit and hopefully ramble a bit. And then within that, there's going to be, I guess, the nuggets of truth or the, uh, you'll get, you'll glean the heart of the 
you know, the key reasons that they made the purchase or that they were interested? Yep. Yeah. So what I do is I give the, the clients a conversation report. That's a transcription of all the conversations broken into categories. So here are the answers to all the answers to that question, which, by the way, I can tell the, the person at the beginning of the interview that I'm going to do that. So it's anonymous, which means they can speak openly. So that's great. Then I also give him a summary and recommendations report. So I end up personally taking the hours that it takes to read through that conversation report and bulletizing the findings so that anyone in the company can look at that and immediately understand, you know, they can scan through that document and say, oh, okay, we, we see the, the big, the big picture here. And people will use the exact same phrase to describe that big picture thing, even though they've never talked to each other. It's fascinating to me. And when you're, when you're doing like, you know, call one to call two to call three, are you kind of using the information you're learning as you go to help in kind of gleaning these nuggets? Or is it something where you got to be kind of every time the first time and just ask them as if this is the first time you've ever talked to anybody about this? It's kind of a combination. I mean, obviously, if someone brings up something in the first call, that's a total surprise. And, and then the second person doesn't mention it. I might at the end of the interview, because you definitely don't want to um, impact the interview in any way. But at the end of the interview, I might say, well, one person did mention this. What do you think of that? Now, I, by the way, I did that with that company that wanted me to talk to 40 people. By the ninth call, I thought, you know what, I'm wasting their money here. So I better start getting some more value. So I did that. At the very end of the conversation, I might say, you know, I've talked to three people that mentioned this. What do you think? But you do have to be careful not to lead them uh, and or, you know, make your ideas end up in that report. It has to all be the customer stuff. And you can't sell to them either. You've got to just be interviewing. The minute you start selling, they'll start playing poker and they'll clam up and they won't tell you anything. Now, what's the kind of the frame you have to give them where they're even open to having this type of conversation? Usually we, we've, I used to just send the emails myself out to uh, prospective interviewees, but I found lately that it's, it's better to have the client send out the emails and say, we're just trying to improve. We just need a half an hour of your time, open-ended questions, you know, and um, we'll set up an appointment. Interestingly, um, contrary to what you see in the movies and popular entertainment, most people are nice <laughs> and they're, and they're happy to be helpful. And this is one of those things where they don't have to prepare. They don't have to do any work. They just have to show up and start talking. So it's kind of fun work. It's not that hard. And they feel so like they, they're they, helping, they right? They, mm -hmm. they, they feel like they're helping and giving back. Yes, exactly. And because they are customers, they have already invested in your company and they want you to succeed. That's one of the prime things about this is you talk to people who have already bought from you. So you're reverse engineering successful sales. You're trying to find out their buying process so that you can replicate it and support it. And they want you to be successful. So they're way more open to talking to you after they've bought. 
Now, so does it not work as well like with a freemium product, like to, to talk to someone who's maybe using it for free or benefiting without paying and then asking them what it would take to move them to be paying? No, you could, you could do that kind of interview, sure. It wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, yeah. It, you, do, you might have to adjust your questions a little bit, but yeah. So it could work like somebody that's a startup that doesn't have maybe clients yet, but is just uh, testing an idea or concept? Yes, it's harder to do that. I mean, most of my clients are established companies that are trying to sell more. Um, and I've known this from the beginning, that, that it's harder to find people. You have to find prospective customers who are not friends, because one of the mistakes entrepreneurs make is they sell to their friends and then they hire a salesperson who's selling to people who don't know them. And the entrepreneur is like, well, why are you having so much trouble? I didn't have any trouble, but he was selling to his friends. So yes, it's a little harder. You have to find the people. You still follow the basic um, pattern. And as soon as you do start having customers, you should start doing this. Because that's the real deal. You want to talk to people who've already gone through the buying process. They know you and your product. Now, is it um, is it helpful, or is like how is the, making that transition from early adopters to more mainstream? Because um, early adopters tend to try new things and take more risk, and will take a flyer on something where somebody who is less or more risk averse is more hesitant. Does that change the? The messaging, does that change uh, how you approach sales? Yes, yes, obviously. And again, going back to their desires, concerns, and questions, the concerns thing is a big deal. Nobody, There's no such thing as a virgin environment when you're selling. Everybody has been through millions of buying processes, and, and you know they've all become very sophisticated customers with our digital age and everything. Um the desire, the concerns might change when you're talking to the people who are more risk adverse, but you're still going to hear some of that with the people who wanted to try it for free because it's not just money. It's also time. It's also being willing to invest the time to learn something or try something new. And, you know, that's a risk too. So there will be some commonalities between the, the early adopters and the, the people that come after. Now, have you found after doing this, I would imagine across multiple industries and, and multiple products and services, that there's kind of ways to um, chunk these out? Are there kind of um, certain types of products and services that like everybody kind of falls into? And then once you've kind of put yourself in that box, then you can, you know, optimize for that? Yes and no. One of the mistakes people make is they look at their competition and say, here's what they're doing. We'll do that too. That's okay for things like SEO, where you're finding the keywords that they're being found for and the clicks they're getting for those keywords. But your company, your product, your management team, the decisions that you make are very different from those of your competitors. So, People look at the whole thing and every company is different and there might be a reason why they would go with one company over another and it might not be what you think. So you do have to be, you can't generalize this stuff. The specificity of this is actually what makes it work. And when that, you get that very specific message right, 
and they see it when they first come to your site or see your product or whatever, and they go, yep, that's me. Oh, good. They get it. They get it. It's got to be very specific. You can't just say makes you sexier, healthier, richer. You know, nobody pays any attention to that stuff anymore. And the more specific you are where the person kind of believes, oh, they get me. They're talking right to me. That's that's what you're shooting for. Yep. And then um, how do you is there once you get this information, uh, do you help move the person from, oh, they get me to, okay, I think I'll buy this or I'll at least consider this to, okay, I, I buy this and maybe I'll tell my friends. Like, do you help them through all the kind of the path of a client to not just being a client, but to be like kind of a raving fan as well? Yes. <laughs> That's a short answer to that question. The, the buying process is all the way through those stages. I'm thinking about buying it, I'm buying it, and then after I buy it, I react to it somehow. All of that helps your sales. All of that drives revenue. So you don't just stop with the sale. In fact, the companies that continue and cross-sell and upsell or make sure that people are happy, those are the ones that leverage the revenue they already have and turn it into more revenue. And is that low-hanging fruit uh, for most businesses that they're not really kind of, uh, you know, leveraging to the fullest? Is that existing client? It seems like a lot of folks focus on the new client more than the existing client. You're absolutely right. And yes, that's, that, that is, <laughs> I can't tell you how many companies could do so much better if they just turned around and looked at what they already have. They already have customers. Those customers can help them sell more to other customers if they ask them the right questions. That's the first part. And the second part is reaching out and keeping in touch and being there for them. It's it's sort of shocking to me how, how much money is wasted on bad messages because they never did talk to the very people they were talk they were selling to. And then afterwards, they just drop them like a hot rock and go on to the next ones. It's just, it's crazy. There's so much revenue. I have, um, I've helped a lot of people sell through recessions. And, and that's one of the first things you do is you look for that low-hanging fruit that's sitting in your backyard already. Why, why do you think that people are more um, kind of enamored with the stranger rather than the people that are already there buying from them? Well, part of it is that sometimes the CEO doesn't like customers. You know, it, they just, they're, they're sort of a non-social. And then I found this a lot in the tech industry. They were, they were not people people. They were, you know, uh, equipment people and system people. And they really thought customers were a bit of a bother. Um, so there's that aspect. There's also just feeling embarrassed about going back to them. Like, why should we go back to them? What's, what can we offer them? And you have to think about that. I have one client who's just a master at leveraging the customers they already have and giving new customers new reasons to reach out to them. And one of the things that we did, they sell a particular type of, um, a lift for a data center. Um, so you move your equipment around with this lift. It's a, a motorized dolly kind of thing. And <clears throat> one of the things we did was we built a database of all the servers in the world. And 
whether this machine can pick them up or not. And there's thousands of servers. There's a big project, but it's a wonderful idea. And it's helping customers, existing customers and new customers. So that kind of thing where you look and say, the real question that you ask yourself every single day is how can I help these people? Given the resources that I have, how can I help these people? Right. And I think that's that's kind of a gap for most salespeople. They're trying to sell something instead of just trying to help somebody. And yeah. it, and, and if they just started focusing on just helping more people, whether they yeah. buy their service or product or not, I think they're going to sell more because they're going to be a resource then. They're not going to be another vendor. Yeah. This same client I'm talking about, actually, the salespeople were replaced with customer service people. And they help the customer buy. So whatever their issue is, you know, supply chain um, problems or uh, they need something right away or they need a particular kind of thing, those, those people are dedicated to helping the customer. And sometimes you're right. They don't make a – they're not on commission. They don't make any kind of commission if they help them or not. So they're just helpful people. And their revenue has gone through the roof. It's, masterful wonderful thing to do i've been advocating that for years it it what makes people afraid to try that well there is this mentality that sales works that you know if you get a guy on the phone pounding the phones a guy or gal and they're just going after the cut that it's going to work it makes perfect sense it's way less complicated than marketing so people just do it but it's 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 so broken now. I mean, how many of us see um, a spam, possible spam on our cell phone and we don't answer the phone? You know, how many of us avoid salespeople? And we're getting really good at it with all of our technology and everything. The usual pushy sales methods do not work and haven't worked for years. And we still do it. It's crazy. Now, is there a lesson that uh, stands out for you in your kind of career in helping uh, so many folks uh, increase their revenue? Is there uh, kind of one big aha or one big message you'd like to share? Yeah, the message is what I've been saying, which is your customers will help you sell if you are humble enough to listen to them and ask them the right questions in the right way. They will absolutely help you sell. And the information you get will be a big aha uh -huh to you. And, you know, sometimes I bring the information back and the CEO says, well, I, I knew that, but I didn't know it was that important. I didn't know it was the main reason that people bought from us, for example. So you might sort of know it, but you don't realize until I've talked to these people and I come back with a report and you say, oh, my goodness, everybody said the same thing. So it does require humility. You do have to be willing to listen. But, you know, customers are where money comes from. So it's a really good idea to to listen to them and take their advice. Now, um, who is your ideal um, client? Is it uh, the, the company or is it an agent? Do you work with other agencies? Like, how do you, um, you know, how do you get your clients? I have been marketing myself for decades of writing blog articles, appearing on podcasts and so on. And I just keep getting this message out there. And every so often 
somebody listens to it and says, oh, man, this woman gets it. I got to talk to her. And it makes sense to them. And we're just off and running. Um, or people read the book or whatever. Um, my perfect client is an established business that is not having much luck with digital marketing, which is why I started this agency back in 2017. Now, I've been in business before that for decades, but this was obvious to me as a revenue coach that so many established businesses were suffering because they'd hired a social person and it didn't work, or they tried SEO and it didn't work. And they're just super frustrated and they just, they, they're worried because the marketing is all digital now. And if they can't make that work, they're really in trouble. So that's, that's my, um, that's my perfect client. My only other rule is that I don't work with jerks. <laughs> I have no jerk clients and no jerk uh, workers. So we're all we're doing all day long is helping each other. It's a wonderful environment. I'm happier working now than I've ever been in my life. It's just so much fun. And it doesn't matter if they're B2B or B2C? No, we do both. And then the outcome that they would get by working with you, you would help kind of hone in on the proper messaging and also even to the point of executing the knowledge there into actionable marketing pieces that can be rolled yeah. out? We build we build digital marketing campaigns. We do some non-digital stuff, but basically we build digital campaigns that work and bring in qualified leads. That's another thing. We're not... We don't just want to bring in lots of leads. We want to bring in the right leads. And so that's, we just fine tune it. We use a variety of methods, whatever is appropriate, online advertising, SEO, content marketing, email marketing, um, social, all of those things, whatever is appropriate, whatever supports the customer's buying process. That's what we do. And if somebody wants to learn more, what's the best way to get a hold of you or somebody on the team? Uh, all they have to do is either just Google my name, Kristen Zhivago. I'm going to be all of page one. Um, they can go to ZhivagoPartners.com. Uh, everything they need is there, including my phone number and, and uh, uh, other ways to get in touch with us. And that, very accessible. And I have a team of about 20, 25 people. And that's Z-H-I-V-A-G-O Partners.com? Yep, Exactly. And well, then get the book on Amazon, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Good questions. Enjoyed it. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you next time on High Velocity Radio.